0: What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you
1: doing? Follow us on the gram at Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago.
0: ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
1: I know the leagues. I know the teams. I know these players. I know this wonderful game called football. It's time for Value bet Oh,
0: this is when the cream rises to the top. This is when things get hot. The largest sports wagering angles you need to know. Stats,
1: records, rankings, weather. If the goal post is tilted just a little bit. Value Bet on Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000.
0: You can bet your children's unborn children's children on these six
1: games. Value Bet. This is America's premier sports information program. Here's
0: Jonathan Hood. Indeed, it is time for Value Bet right here with me, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. We go to oddshark.com. OddsShark.com. Go to the website. was We talked to Jill Gallant. He's with us here on ESPN 1000 as we take a look at the NFL. Jill, Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time.
1: Jonathan, thank you for uh, letting me come on. Uh, pretty uh, excited to hear. Uh Baseball could be around the corner. Uh, NFL looks like it's going to be in full swing this year. There's some optimism uh, coming back for 2020.
0: Well, let me find out first and foremost where you are right now. How is everything with you and your family throughout this COVID-19 that It is uh, affecting many?
1: Uh, I, I think we're in a good spot. Uh, the area that I'm in is not as uh, affected, maybe, say, as some of the uh, – the, uh, the larger uh, the larger areas uh we're safe though we're happy i think we're all uh like a lot of people getting a little bit of the itch of wanting to go outside and go enjoy more time with friends and family but uh you know there's still plenty of uh, bets and uh, plenty of sports uh, coming up here soon to be able to uh uh scratch that itch
0: yeah it's good to have live events again to return and you made a little money with the uh, ufc 249 went four and two uh, how, how'd you like your the way you uh, were able to go about things on saturday with the event taking place in jacksonville
1: oh i uh well i mean i enjoyed it i mean personally uh I, like i wasn't really too up in arms about whether or not there would be a crowd there or not and i think if anything this uh debunked the idea that ufc could be successful or not with or without fans uh I think a lot of the time when I was looking at the card, because again it was so stacked, it was such a uh, a main event style card. It felt like all five fights on the main card uh, could have been main events in, in other uh, cards uh, for UFC. Um, I think I might have gotten a little lucky. I think with the end, I think I was I was looking really good with Cejudo and and uh, and uh, Nagano, but. I uh, I really went into the final fight not really sure if Justin Gaethje could put a beating on Tony Ferguson like he did. And, oh, my God, did he ever. And mm-hmm. uh, being a live underdog like that, I was very happy to cash in.
0: I want to get your thoughts on some of the uh, futures for the NFL, because it's right around the corner here. The NFL is going about their business. Jill, no matter what's going on right now, the NFL is strident in their their, uh, free agency with the draft. They're looking forward to the season. So I will start you first with with the NFC North. I see, uh, as of late, Packers are plus 125. The Vikings are plus 200. The Bears at plus 300, and the Lions at, at uh, plus 800. I was wondering your thoughts on the NFC North. Does that feel right to you? Because the Vikings had a terrific draft. They are able to add on to free agency In the Packers. They, they kind of stayed stagnant. What? It, how do you see the North?
1: Well, see, I think the odds are correct. I think just for me, based on value, especially with the schedule being released, I was looking over the NFC North schedule just uh, this past week, And you'll be actually pretty excited to know. I actually think the Bears are going 11 and 5 this year, at worst 10 and 6, Uh, just based on the schedule, looking at some of their home games, looking even just at the first like four games, like looking at them playing the Lions and the Giants. Uh, the Falcons and Colts, I feel like those are all winnable games. Like I see at least a three and one coming out of that. It's week five uh, when you end up having to uh, host the uh, the new uh, Tom Brady Buccaneers and uh, seeing kind of what they're about, uh, where I think uh, you'll be able to kind of really test uh, to see if whether or not uh, the offense with Nagy and Trubisky is really uh, moving forward. Uh, but to, to the North, uh, myself, I honestly think that the Packers, I think they're still going to be the mainstay. The Vikings, I think, are going to actually regress a little bit this year. I thought that they lost lost some key players on defense. Um, really now with wide receiver, it's going to be a and show instead of Stephon Diggs now going off to Buffalo. Uh, I think the Bears should actually be a little bit closer maybe to what the Vikings odds are. I still think the Packers deserve their due of being the, the division title favorite just because, again, who they are and their history against playing uh, Chicago. Uh, but uh, I think the Bears are right there.
0: That is strong, Jill. I mean, they, so you're, so the, I've seen the numbers at either eight or nine for, for win total. And you're saying you go, you go definitely past eight or nine for the Bears as far as win total based on the schedule.
1: Well, I think 10 wins is, is very doable just based on the schedule. And then of course the added value of being able to be, uh, uh, the seventh team, uh, getting included now into playoffs with this new change coming up for the conferences. Uh, I really think they're at least getting a wild card spot. I really think the only way that they're not winning the division, the bears themselves is if the, uh, the Packers, uh, go like 13 and three or 12 and four again. And even you could talk to some, a lot of NFL experts, a lot of people felt like the Packers 13 and three last year felt a little hollow, uh, Maybe we're a little, a little bit more on the luck side. Uh, I, I'm still a little hesitant on making um, picking them or even thinking of them towards a Super Bowl title. So that's kind of why I think that the Bears still have an opportunity to be able to come in there and uh, potentially uh, at least split uh, this year instead of uh, you know like Week One last year where I think you guys lost ten to three like kind of thing. It was just such a mm-hmm. uh, such a tightly defensive battle. And I think that uh, the defense is just going to regroup and be a little bit better this year. And then you've got also obviously got Foles backing up Trubisky now to be able to uh, light the fire under uh, the, uh, the former Tar Heel to hopefully uh, see if he can actually put it all together.
0: Jill Gallant from OddsShark.com with Jonathan Hood as we do value bet here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. We ask you to go to OddsShark.com while we have our conversation. I'm wondering, Jill, from a future standpoint, how how much do you hedge with the possibility that the games that we'll see in the NFL initially will be without fans, if that's going to be the case?
1: Yeah, like I think, I think it's really uh, new territory. I think for a lot of veterans, especially myself, it's going to probably be a feeling out process, especially in the first couple of weeks to see how that impacts. Uh, like, I don't know if certain. Stadiums or arenas are going to maybe even pump in, you know, uh, crowd noise or anything to maybe add to the simulation of feeling like you're playing in front of a live uh, audience. Uh, uh, There's a lot of questions that I'm just not sure of. But for myself, probably what I would do is I would probably still just bet games the way that I normally would um, as far as like – I don't say that I don't take home or away advantage or anything like that into consideration, but a lot of the time you are just looking at matchups and and numbers, right? So a lot of it for myself, it would really depend on, you know, what the spread was and what an injury reports, uh, so, like, if I was to use a week one matchup of, uh, the, uh, the Patriots playing, uh, Miami and, and game one is in Foxboro, like, I'm not going to think to myself that Miami doesn't have a chance because they're going to Foxboro and they never have won there because, again, it's a little different now with no fans. So, again, a lot of the, the traditional, viewing or at least traditional mindset of how you will bet games that is going to probably be a week or two maybe even up to the first month of the season before i think people feel fully comfortable understanding what without fans and how it will uh, affect uh, betting game to game
0: so jill here's the first Example of what I'm talking about. So the first game of the season, Kansas City against Houston, right? So Chiefs' kingdom with a full complement of fans going nuts. They finally win Mm -hmm. the Super Bowl. So it's against Houston, and so you would just think that place is rocking. And then you see the number uh, comes out initially on Odd Shark, and it's it's ten and a half Kansas City by by ten and a half, and it's like, ooh, you know, first night jitters. You know, Kansas City does have the offense. Houston's a good team. Maybe I I would either go Houston in that spot, or maybe I'm looking at the over under and say, well, maybe I'll go take the over fifty two and a half. But then if there are no fans, now it's not rocking. Even though we're looking at Kansas City as a a potent offensive team, maybe because they're, it's not that same atmosphere, maybe I'm leaning Houston even more so.
1: Yeah, and, and I think you do bring up some valid points. I think KC is a tricky team for this analogy because their their offense is so potent that. It's, no matter how big the number is, you almost feel a little tempted to lay it because, again, they just they can explode. I mean, we saw it just in the playoffs. Like, when they were they were down, they just immediately reeled off, like, 50 straight points. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's just one of those things that even... But, again, that was also in front of fans at Arrowhead. So that's kind of one of the things that I think it's a little more difficult. If, if anything, I think I might mean probably a little more towards what you were thinking about with the total. I think that the... Um, I think like the opposing offenses may have a little bit more of an edge. I think like you're just thinking about uh, loud now and just thinking about how this would play. Like I think, Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans would probably just have a little bit more of an edge uh, to be able to run some plays and not be disoriented by, like, having to go to a, a silent snap call or something like that and being able to uh, to run through their motions and have, let Watson uh, play around, especially with week one with the way that their receiving core is now not having Hopkins. To know that you have, like, a guy like Will Fuller who will actually be healthy, maybe that could actually uh, lend itself to being able to uh, put some points up on uh, a Chiefs defense that, while it is uh, – very strong can be can be thrown on so uh, yeah I think right now just based on just, again if the game was tomorrow and we're just going with the idea of no fans and just looking at the the ten and a half with a or the, the fifty four total. I probably lean towards the over. I think uh, I think it'll be a little bit more of a coordination for Casey uh, in the opening month, uh, where they're still humming on offense, and because their defense isn't as strong as maybe some other uh, past Super Bowl winners, they can still be scored on. I still think they'd be content with winning forty to twenty five.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, what are you guys doing over that oddshark dot What What is Madden twenty twenty Sim Classic Bowl? What, I, is the sharp money actually more toward the the Arkansas uh, Derby the, or or some of the horse race or the Tampa racing I've been seeing or more on uh, this Madden twenty twenty?
1: Well, the thing is, because we're so, uh, fixated and want our football so bad, uh, we've decided to just kind of simulate, uh, portions of the season, almost like recreating the 2020 season to be able to allow people to, to bet on some football, uh, while they're waiting until the, uh, the new season starts. So what this is, is basically we have Madden 20 and then we, uh, we set it up completely almost like it's a this, uh, like a like a regular season with shades of like World Cup. So every division, basically, you get to each play each team once. So it's almost like a group stage kind of thing. And then you move on towards playoffs and then you slowly just whittle yourself down until you're into the uh, Super Bowl, or it should be the uh, the symbol, as we're calling it here. Um, and really, that's what it is, is, just being able to do conventional bets like you would on a simulation game, like betting on like what I do. Is I like to bet touchdown scores, and I like to bet uh, turnovers on drives or or results of drive. and you can bet on... Pretty much any prop that you would normally bet, uh, with an actual football game, but just in simulation form. Uh, so it's a, uh, 14 day tournament. We just kicked off on Saturday and, uh, we're kicking off and we're, uh, going through, uh, going through straight for another, uh, uh, week and a half to two weeks.
0: Oh, Jesus, this is unbelievable.
1: <laughs> so, no, and it's not even just that. Like, I mean, the thing <laughs> is, is that uh, this is just the void right now, like, where we're trying to kind of just make sure that we, uh, as, uh, as society and people, just stay sane and be able to bet on some things and take our mind off the fact that we've been stuck in our house for, for over two months. And uh, so, I mean, it's not even just Madden, like, you can bet on uh nba 2k simulations you can bet on nascar simulations like every sport that you can think of we're we're uh we have markets available for people if they would like to bet on it and then of course you just watch the game live right on their twitch channel
0: Yeah, it's amazing madden 2020 sim sim classic bowl check that out at com. (laughs) lastly uh so jill you got a hundred dollars and someone says will mike tyson fight in 2020 plus 200 yes minus 300 no Where where are you putting your money
1: See, uh, if you watch those videos, you just don't want to be the sparring partner with him at all. Like that's what the main thing. Like, I, it, it's one thing to be the opponent, and you've already trained, and you can probably take. Because my main thing about Tyson when I watch these videos is not whether or not he can throw a punch, because clearly it's evidence he will give you a bad, bad like liver shot if, if you're not if you're not careful. Yeah. But I think it's just with him is that whether or not he can take the physical punishment of going like a. You know, eight to ten to twelve round fights. I don't know what might be an exhibition for all I know for what plans to do because I can't see him uh, going towards a belt or anything like he's way past that stage. But if I had a hundred dollars, I would certainly bet on it because again, the one thing with him is that he clearly has the skill. I think it's whether or not uh, who wants to be the opponent and. uh, I think uh, Mike Tyson has taught us all that uh, whatever he does, we're going to watch it. Hey, if, if you make a pay-per-view and it's the co-main, and if it's him against a lion uh, from Tiger King, we're going to watch it. You know I mean? so, it's,
0: <laughs> so
1: crazy, uh, yeah. So that's kind of where I look at it. With it, if I uh, based on that, like I mean, I'm, I'm actually debating on going to bet that prop here in a minute here at uh, at uh, one of my sports books uh, because I, I mean, it's just. The thing is, too, with him, it really depends on showing the money. Like he's fought a lot over the years. I can't see. I, I don't think he's been in financial dire straits by any point. But again, at the same time, uh, it's hard to say no to a few million dollars. <laughs> so yeah. I can't yeah. see. I can't see why he would say no as long as it's not going to put him in uh, too too much of a physical uh, jeopardy.
0: Jill I'm glad you spent some time with us we hope to talk to you again close to baseball season but uh, some real insight on the NFL uh, especially where to do with your money now early it will be interesting to see where the sharps go as we get closer to the season I appreciate your time here in Chicago
1: thanks a lot Jonathan have me on anytime
0: that's Jill uh, Gallant from uh, OddsShark.com here with our value bet segment right here on ESPN 1000. Coming up next, we find out uh, the real story with, with Horace Grant. Why is he an Orlando magic? Why was that so interesting in that documentary that we saw last night? We talk about it next right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. We got Tales from the Hood coming up at 8.30 right here on ESPN 1000. Also, we'll have our look at the NFC North. We start with the Packers with Rob Domofsky coming up uh, at 9 o'clock. We'll have uh, the Vikings on Tuesday and the Lions on Wednesday. So we're going to take a look closely at the schedules for the NFC North and how close are the Bears to those teams in the North. We'll get to that every night at 9 o'clock right here on ESP 1000. Glad you're with us. We had so much to get to after the last dance documentary um, uh, yesterday, UFC taking place on Saturday Had three COVID cases. That's all right, Eric. That's all right. Three COVID cases. uh, Ring the bell or whatever they do there at the UFC. They just, they just they move forward, even though they had COVID cases. They didn't shut down. It just kept going. It's amazing.
2: You just move the cones and let's continue the drill. <laughs>
0: I mean, that's pretty what it is, right? That's what it's said in football. Guys down, move the drill. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Uh, while we have some time here, before we get to Tales from the Hood, let's talk about Horace Grant because I have hinted around this for a while, but I think I should talk about this long form for those that don't remember the story. And I, again, once again, Um, Being in this uh, business since 1965, I remember this story like it was yesterday, this Horace Grant story, right? So, Melissa Isaacson and Sam Smith were both with the Chicago Tribune at the time. And they wrote a story in uh, the early 90s called, Grant, My Record Speaks for Itself. Now, we see Horace Grant in that black shirt now and just lean back in the chair talking about those championship years and talking about Scotty Pippen and other stories with the bulls and something that will not be part of this documentary. And it wasn't last night. If they were going to bring it up, it would have been last night. Horace went to the uh, Orlando magic, but there were some issues between Horace and the bulls, just like Pippen and the bulls and Jordan and the bulls. Uh, there was issues with Horace Grant, Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf. So, for five days, Horace Grant and his agent, Jimmy Sexton, ruminated about what to say and how to respond to accusations by Bulls chairman Jerry Reinsdorf that Grant reneged on a handshake agreement to stay with the team. Now, this is after the first uh, three championships with the Bulls where Horace Grant was supposed to stay with the Bulls. But in a news conference last week during this year, Reinsdorf also accused Grant of feigning injury and illness during the season uh, calling it the Blue Flu, in Reinsdorf's words, which contributed to the Bulls losing the regular season Eastern Conference title and home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Grant and Sexton, who also represent Scottie Pippen, maintained that they did not want to trade barbs with uh, the Bulls management. They did, however, say that they felt they need to defend themselves on several points. Now, Eric, Horace Grant signed a six-year 22 million dollar deal with the Orlando Magic. I know paltry sum back then in, in the, the mid 90s right? Six years 22 million but it just shows you how underpaid Horace was at the time as well but he signs this deal with the magic and he was particularly upset about the blue flu comments. this is Reinsdorf. I remember that press conference him saying this wide, uh, out loud when someone attacks my character, I get furious said Grant who only uh, saw only taped highlights of the news conference. I think my record speaks for itself when it comes to playing sick. On Christmas night against Orlando, I p- played with 102-degree fever and bronchitis. I had the flu in Atlanta and played, and another time in New Jersey, I threw up three or four times and still played. I have a reputation to uphold. I'm a guy who has a lot of character when it comes to his work. I put a lot of heart and soul into my work. So it just goes on this column about Jimmy Sexton, the agent for Grant and Pippen at the time. And just about how, you know, Grant who said the irony is that Reinsdorf and coach Phil Jackson had originally urged him to test the free agent market agreed uh, that he has to make the best choice for himself. There are a lot of intangibles involved, meaning that you have to feel good about playing for an organization. I went out and busted my rear end for the organization and I didn't care too much for, I think I showed a lot of character. See, there are issues with Horace too. <laughs> so, so I mean, it's just amazing,
2: isn't it? And it's another athlete that Barb's would like, like the front office is just throwing spears at in the media at them. Another one, like mm-hmm. the Scotty stuff before the season, and then and then this Horace stuff, calling, saying the 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 blue flu or whatever. So, let's take a step back. And just take a look at this. And again, for for some,
0: I understand that this is brand new. And for me, like I remember reading this stuff and having to talk about this stuff or produce this stuff for other hosts back in that time. And so I, I just want to be able to to make a parallel between that time in the mid '90s to 2020, where an owner of a franchise would accuse another one of his players of having the blue flu, not wanting to play. Uh, in certain instances that would cost the team uh, wins or an ability to win a championship. Think about how that would go over in 2020. The only person that would somewhat get away with that is Jerry Jones. I'm sure any of these owners could get away with saying it, but who would have the testicular fortitude to do it? That's the thing. And this is why when this is all said and done next Sunday, when the documentary is done, we'll understand even more what's going through Michael Jordan's mind what it took to be able to win six titles in eight years, the, the kind of checkered past and present of uh, Scottie Pippen. But resoundingly, we have to look at Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause. It was a story on the regular all the time back then of all the bulls are cheap, the Bulls won't spend the type of money to be able to get these uh, better players. All the Bulls won't take care of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. They won't take care of Horace Grant. I don't blame them for leaving. Why can't you be able to hold this championship together? All of the the stories that we are seeing is all connected to Krauss and Reinsdorf. And I understand over the years that Jerry Reinsdorf has become more of a, a sympathetic older figure. You know, he was part of the 6,008 years. He was able to be the owner of that, won a, a Sox championship, even though... You know, some would say he covers the White Sox championship more so than the six titles in eight years with the Bulls. Nonetheless, the thing is, is that it all comes back to ownership and management wanting to have their piece of the pie, their, their, their attention. And I just think that's just so ridiculous. It really is. I'll, I'll look at this situation versus the Golden State Warriors. I'll just use them for an example. So. The breakup of the Warriors, meaning Kevin Durant going to Brooklyn and not staying with the Warriors, was not based on Bob Myers. It wasn't based on the Warriors' management. It was based on Kevin Durant never feeling like he was part of the team. He said, I got tired of being with the Warriors and KD. And, And, of course, that was between his own ears, KD. He didn't have to feel that way. I mean, it's one of those things where you have to find a way to fit in. You came from the Thunder, you go to the Golden State Warriors, and so now, yeah, you're not with Steph and Clay and Draymond as far as the original group, but they wanted you, they needed you to be able to solidify a championship, right? And and so that happened. But somehow KD felt that, oh, you know, I'm never going to be really a part of this Warriors team, even though you wear the uniform, even though people love you, keep in mind that that was on KD. Point is, though, is that KD going to Brooklyn had nothing to do with management like it is with the Bulls. The Bulls, where Michael Jordan having to retire and, and uh, Jerry Krause pretty much saying you can go 82-0 and, and I don't want Phil Jackson back. How mind-boggling is that in a city that's thirsty for championships? And this is no shot at the Blackhawks, three titles and all that. But what I'm saying is, is that if you have a genuine article, if you have a championship run, why break it up because you feel like you're not getting the uh, uh, right amount of credit? And that's exactly what this story comes down to. Yeah, it's like a lot of Michael. it's a lot of him reminiscing with the, the cognac and the, the cigar. And there's a lot of you know, B.J. Armstrong and Scotty Pippen and some of these other bulls talking and telling the stories and Scott Burrell and all that. That's great. But, you know, all of it comes down to Krause and Reinsdorf and how much that sucks. Understand that championships—it's not—it's not guaranteed for everybody. Runs go and they come for some teams, but to derail a championship just because I can is really horrible. And so when I get this on social media every now and then, oh look how they're burying the dead. How can you say that about Krause? He passed away. You know why? Because Krause deserves credit for being able to help build the championship. But in the same breath, he sucks for wanting to break it up. You can actually have both opinions. I know that that's very difficult for some of my, you know, for, for teammates or those that do uh, do this for a living. But you can give Krause the credit for being able to be an architect, to be able to build a lot of these pieces around Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, and also say that in death that he sucked for doing what he did by trying to get rid of the amount of egos, but yet successful egos in that locker room. You could say that. Jerry, Jerry Reinsdorf the same way. You can give Jerry Reinsdorf the credit for being able to be an owner for the White Sox or be an owner uh, for the Chicago Bulls and, and preside over those eight those six championships. At the same time, for him to go along with Jerry Krause and put more stock in the Jerry Krause, one person, and that organization, more so than the players, that sucks too. So every time I see his face on the screen, him trying to bullsplain his the situation with the Bulls, it just makes me more agitated to know that instead of letting a championship um, wither away because of attrition, because it was their time to stop, you stopped it on purpose. The Celtics didn't do that. The Lakers didn't do that. Spurs didn't do that. Uh, the Bad Boy Pistons didn't do that. Houston didn't do that. Those teams that were on a run, that had these, these long-form winning streaks of winning championships and all the success, it stopped because it just stopped. Not because an organization put the brakes on and said, okay, we've got to break this up because it's too successful and I'm not getting enough credit. That's bad. Tales from the Hood is next. Chris Screen ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app.
2: You're listening to
0: Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. What do you got there?
1: This is your car? My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood?
0: Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app.
2: Here we go.
0: Tales from the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. We'll talk NFL, NFC North with Rob Domofsky, Packers, uh, reporter and Chicago's own Rob Domofsky will get a chance to get his thoughts about the NFC North. Uh, but now it's time for Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. And if we take a look at The Last Dance, and this is the time of the show where we turn it over to executive producer Eric Ostrowski, who got a chance to watch The Last Dance like uh, I did. Anything in particular stood out to you about last night's episodes?
2: All right. For starters, I think the first episode yesterday, episode seven, I think that one was my favorite so far of all the episodes. Just watching the emotion from MJ and the retirement and the death around his father, I just thought. And then, like, the rumors around it. I just thought that that episode was more impactful and we got more insight on who actual MJ is than we have in the other episodes.
0: It was uh, it was really deep. Uh, when you have an athlete of his caliber uh, crying, trying to de- describe what it means to be the best, um, that's... That's a whole different level, Eric. I mean, that's that's something I've never seen before. And it was actually somewhat shocking to me because he was going deep there to talk about his love for basketball and his love for winning.
2: I just thought that that like two minute chunk at the end of the episode where they end it with him saying like break was like you can't even write that script. Like that's the best halftime speech you'll hear. Like I wanted to run through a wall when he was talking about you can call me a tyrant all you want. But just because you haven't won anything. Like, all that just was amazing for him to be able to just come off the cuff and to be able to explain it. Because I don't know how someone could explain that psychotic competitiveness as well as he did. You call it psychotic. It is psychotic. Like, he ha- it's an obsessive <laughs> thing that he has. There's no doubt. And no one's reached that level.
0: Now, here's a question. Deeper question. Can you want to win so badly that it can go into psychosis? Like, it, is it troubling Is that a sickness?
2: I mean, I I think that, yes, I think it is a level of sickness, whether it's ruining his life or anything like that. No, but like the gambling aspect of him is is a sense that that competitive I need to win itch in him as well. And that for people who aren't billionaires could ruin lives. So I do think that for people without his means, it could absolutely destroy you. Yeah.
0: Uh, so uh, i asked this earlier and there's no right or wrong answer i'm just curious on what you think because i had not asked you yet i want to ask you like what do you think um players your age and younger are thinking when they see that that's in the league like what do you think russell westbrook thinks in particular or guys like him that haven't won a championship and they see jordan just kind of just put his heart out there on a tray for you to see what are what they think of this documentary
2: I question how much reality the athletes now have. And they may think that they have that urge to win just as much. I, I, I don't think anyone does. It's clear no one does. But I don't know how well athletes today can step back and be like, oh, well, he's got that extra gear that no one's ever seen. So I wouldn't be surprised if Russell Wasberg's 15-second Instagram video of him throwing ropes around makes him feel like he's doing what Jordan did. <laughs> Because that's what we get from athletes now. It's oh he just shot 10 jumpers. Uh check out his IG live.
0: Yeah, I tell you something, man. The one thing we know one thing we know Eric is that when the season's over, dudes want to show you that they are in Fiji or they're in the Bahamas or whatever first and they're living their best life. It's not like what we saw and it's actually how it happened. Jordan loses when he comes back after playing baseball. He's number 45 and then like the next day he's in the gym and that's a long process by the way because that's all summer into the fall uh and when you start playing basketball um i'm not seeing a lot of that and that's not i'm not saying that i'm looking for it but i'm just not seeing a lot of we lost in the finals we lost and get uh beat i'm back in the gym uh, working on my jumper you see that from lebron but we don't see that from a lot of other
2: people i i feel like the only person that comes to mind that even could live in the same island with MJ with this would be Kobe. And I think Kobe's relationship with Shaq would be almost the identical relationship Jordan would have with Shaq because he was trying to pull him along because if Shaq had that drive, Shaq would have been the most dominant player to ever play the game. So, like, I feel the difference between MJ and Kobe is nobody knew about this stuff about MJ. Kobe called it the Mamba mentality. Like, he branded it. That's the difference between athletes now and then.
0: What else is on your um, in your phone that you watched
2: um, so the uh, him talking about why he was leaving in 93 about obviously just he was worn out his father died all that stuff yeah. but I really agree when I went back and looked at the teams he talked about how he doesn't feel like there's any more challenges for him. For someone who needed that carrot in front of him at all times, he felt like the league was somewhat watered down, and he just didn't see a challenge for him day in and day out anymore, so he thought he couldn't do it again and he was right the league in that that exact moment of time was was rather watered down. there was maybe three four real teams hey it, it's real though like there, it wasn't a terrific point like that's a He's quoted when he came back, he thought he could steal one because he thought the league wasn't good. He'd come back, whatever fifty games into the season, and he could steal a ring. He said that, like so. He thought the same thing.
0: And the Magic it was beat that ass, did they not? When yes. He came back out of baseball. <laughs> it was kind of weird because it seemed like it was it's odd because it looked like Jordan had a piano on his back when he had number forty five. He didn't have that quite that quite that lift uh, in his legs. He just came off of baseball, so it took some time for him to readjust. With his jump shot and just the way he was doing his, had his body because he was an outfielder uh, playing baseball. So it took him a while to be able to readjust.
2: Absolutely, and like the story of that off. So that off season was the Space Jam, the Jordan Dome at Space Jam as well. Which that that might have. I was trying to see if I could find stories of you know how like the summer league, summer pickup games are now a massive story. Yes. That's where we got hooded Carmelo from. And, like, so this is what I'm thinking. This may have been started of all these guys in the summer going to L.A. to start playing pickup games together because it was it was just studs. It was nothing but the great players in the league coming out after shooting the movie to go play hoops all night.
0: Shirts and skins going at it. Right. Hilarious. Right. Um, I'm just I'm just uh, <laughs> I want to know whether or not ESPN has full court coverage of the Warner Brother practice games.
2: It was on a film set. Like, there has to be this video, right? Like On Warner Brothers' film set. Like, there needs to be that full footage.
0: Jordan's sitting out watching the tendencies. You know, again, like a baseball man, right? Like, like someone who's scouting talent. Yep. He's scouting the, the current crop of young and veteran players. Watching Reggie Miller, because that's going to be next. Oh, gosh. Uh, watching the Indiana Pacers and, and um, Reggie Miller like a hawk. It's like, wow, man, it's, it's interesting, uh,
2: Jordan's perspective on all of that. Absolutely. Um, one of the best moments we've had yet was, um, and this is a, so well done by the director, he's been doing it throughout the doc, is where he gives Jordan the uh, tablet to hear and watch the reactions or, or comments by these players. When he heard that Gary Payton saying he could have locked him down and the series could have been different, and that laugh was incredible. Like That laugh was like, man, this guy is kidding himself. It was so good. <laughs> so,
0: I never believed, even at the time, that Seattle could beat the Bulls. I just thought the Suns were the best team. I just thought, man, that's going to be a, a four or five series rivalry. Like, the, maybe the title goes back and forth between the Suns and the Bulls because the Suns were that good. Barkley was that good. Never mind about the cuddly guy you, you hear on Waddle and Sylvie and him uh, doing the circuit, talking to TV and radio hosts about his thoughts on on Michael, that guy, similar to Michael, had just one thought, and that was just a win, and he was just a tremendous athlete, and so when I think about the Sonics, and you hear, you know, Gary Payton's like, I want to lock up Michael, and, and you know, George Carl, just be amused and I don't know, I think he was a good coach, there's no doubt, but just... You know, it, it makes you wonder. It, this documentary also takes you inside of the coaching technique, right? If you are Gary Payton, you want to take on the best player. I mean, he was the glove. Gary Payton was a great defender. Of course, Michael laughs at that, but no, he was a great defender. He was always um, in your jersey, making sure that you were tied up in knots. Um, and, and Gary wanted to take him on. And, like, how, how do you not have Gary Payton against Michael? I couldn't believe series? that when
2: they said that. Like, if you look at that roster, who's the one guy you're going to stick on an MJ? It's the guy who's one of the better on ball defenders in the history of the game. It was crazy that he, he was saving him for his offense is what the excuse was. Now, see, Eric,
0: there's another lesson for you. There was bad coaching back then, too. Yep. Sure was. <laughs> sure was. <laughs> back then, too. You saw that with Cleveland, right? Ron Harper was like, how do I not guard Michael on the inbounds pass in uh, in 80, whatever it was, 89? Right.
2: That was what, Lenny Wilkins?
0: Yeah. Yes. See? The black Billy Crystal was like, nope, nope, we're going to put Craig Elo on him. Yeah. That's what happened.
2: Some would say that Jordan is petty, but it's the need for all those like carrots. All, like I mentioned earlier, just he found something to be pissed off about all the time. And in this episode, we had three of them. We had B.J. Armstrong hitting the shot again, when he was on Charlotte. And MJ was like, nope, that's not happening. We had the made-up story about LeBradford Smith telling Mike good game after he dropped 36. Really, Mike was just pissed that he dropped 36. And then we had the George Carl. Where he didn't say hello to him when they saw each other out to dinner. Those three little things, for no reason, Jordan just pulls out and makes that a, a, a reason to just kill and dominate.
0: Ahmad Rashad uh, actually verifies a story that it actually did happen. It's incredible. Carl walks by the John Lithgow-looking George Carl, walks right past Jordan, and doesn't say anything. Well, I mean... If you're George Carl in that spot, do you speak to Jordan? Probably so, I, right?
2: You say hi, but I, I guess Jordan said in the dock that like they're buddies. They golfed a bunch. They see each other at all these fundraisers. So I guess say hi, but it's the night before game. I get the competitiveness as well. But yes, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all it takes with him. Wait a
0: minute, though. That last seven, like last six games, angry for six games because George Carl didn't
2: exactly say hello to right. <laughs> Unbelievable. You mean to
0: tell me they didn't put on the? Uh, they must have put on the cutting room floor. They didn't interview Le Bradford Smith. They didn't talk to him.
2: I couldn't even tell you. He could be sitting right next to me. I would have no clue who that is. Put.
0: He should have been on the documentary
2: to tell that story. I mean, <laughs> he could have been like, "I didn't say anything to Mike. Like, and th- he made it up. Like, what the hell?"
0: <laughs> five seconds. That's all I would need. He made the story up. I don't know what he's talking about. And then go yep. to the next thing. And that's it. And then Perfect. go to Steve Kerr. <laughs>
2: <It's>
0: like, <laughs> that's all this.
2: What else you got? Anything um, else that stood out? So the 90s reporters, mid-90s, it, it, it seems like the whole Jordan NBA suspension from Stern thing just kind of got spun out of nowhere by these reporters in the mid-90s. So it got me thinking those reporters and columnists were the very first Twitter tro- trolls of the world. Just making crap up and trying to besmirch people. That's no way to talk about Lester Munson. Hey, uh, I don't know why. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. It seems to be grounded in just rumors.
0: So there was some old Channel 11 footage from the Callaway show. You saw Lester yes, Munson there. They're just like, well, I want to be the first one to bring it up, but um, there is a gambling scandal <laughs> that's going on. John Callaway, I'm telling you right now. Just, you know. Uh, and so, okay. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, that was something that was pretty prevalent back then. A lot of conversation about why would Michael leave Why will he leave the game and then all of a sudden turn around and play baseball? I think the reason why that there's questions about that, I'm just trying to remember at the time how it was written by many columnists. It's like, if you do want to step away from the game, if you are tired, why step right into baseball immediately? That's why that rumor innuendo started to uh, kick in. It's a fair question, is it
2: not? It is. The whole situation was is odd and weird, and I get the questioning, but people instantly saying that he's the reason for his dad's death is, is pretty rough without any actual, like, anything behind it.
0: Well, I mean, but it, and you're getting even similar or worse today. And unfortunately, in our sports journalism.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, that's what I mean. Like it was yeah. Twitter before Twitter. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, our uh, boss Randy Merkin texts me. George Carl will be on Carmen and Yurko tomorrow at one forty-five, and Lil Bradford Smith was on today. So listen on the podcast, Carmen and Yurko, if you want to hear their side of the story.
0: Send uh, send Randy some of uh, our stuff too, so he can promote that. <laughs> oh, that's never going to
2: happen.
0: <clears throat> so nonetheless, um, so I, I thought that that was is interesting just a dynamic there um anything else that stood out
2: that you liked okay so one quick one there's a great sign at the uh sonics game that said legalize kemp i thought that was witty and terrific yes (laughs) um then my last one got thinking about how the, the when you think of the top athletes ever you think mj ali and then people throw tiger in that conversation all three of those people who are considered pantheon athletes All had a big break in the middle of their careers. Jordan left and played baseball. Ali didn't fight because of the whole Vietnam and and, then like the not want to be drafted situation. And then Tiger Woods had the knee surgeries and the situation with his wife at the time. Mm -hmm. So it's just weird how those incredible athletes all seemed to parallel and then had to come back and change their games and change the way they fought, change the way they swung and dominated after as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But, and you're talking about, again, we talked about earlier one percenters. Yep, there you go. Tiger Woods, right? Mag- uh, Michael Jordan. I mean, those are those are the guys that do it a, a totally different level than everybody else.
2: And so. it just proves it. I did not know that MJ coming back started leaking out as he was at a White Sox game or that he was going to play baseball and he was just in the skybox and the, the cameras fixated on him in the skybox. I thought the drama of that was amazing.
0: It starts trickling out again. This is without social media. Just yeah. the, the, the rumors and innuendo started coming out, and then going to a uh, a third base dugout shot of Pat O'Brien giving you the <laughs> giving you the information. <laughs> so, the, and then you see Michael <laughs> leave, and then here's Jerry Reinsdorf here all over the place, and he's running out of there as well. It, what a great time and a tremendous time.
2: It's great. I, I'm I'm in for chaos like that at all times. All times um, again.
0: And again, this is before social media. All this somehow comes out from,
2: you know, word of mouth, as you mentioned. Just leaked out in the stadium, which is, it has got to be fun to be around something like that. Uh, Random, random note here is there are three people who don't seem to age on this show. MJ's wife or wife, MJ's mom, Dolores, looks like she's 45. Yes. BJ Armstrong, if his hair wasn't a little gray, could be 35. And Reinsdorf, for how old he is, looks incredible in this as well.
0: You know the reason why I look good is because of the cocoa butter. <laughs> yeah. you know, I just continue to preserve the good looks because of the cocoa butter. It really looks good. I also have a nice soup every day at twelve o'clock. It really helps me out with my pores and my skin. So that—that's I think that's the reason why. That right. It's Ryan working for
2: It's working for those three strong. <laughs> <laughs> right. like, MJ, actually, MJ looks older than his mom almost right now.
0: True. Reinsdorf looks better now than he did in the 90s. Yes, those big red
2: framed glasses that he had (laughs) on at one of the press conferences was like, it's like larger than aviator sunglasses (laughs) worn now. That was a trendy fact back then. For, I know. for
0: He wanted to see all the deceiving that he was doing because he wanted to have big glasses so he could able to see it. I just want you to know it's very difficult because Michael is going to retire. It's unbelievable. It's get, never get another bite of the apple. <laughs> all right, Jerry. Thanks very much. That's great. That, that my, was on my, my notes. So yeah, is that everything? Oh, that, what? How about how about this? How about players never read the newspapers or ever hear what's said as Michael Jordan reads a Rick Bonnell column from the Charlotte Observer? <laughs> yep, absolutely. This, that's a theme in this in this documentary too. Bj opened up the paper. Michael, Scotty, what I like is is that they're reading the paper on the court. Right, Did they were sitting there in like shoot around, just the paper out. Mm-hmm. Who gets the broadsheet out? It's just the big Tribune, and they just spread their arms <laughs> wide, reading the, what's going on. There's Michael on the bus reading the
2: Mariotti column from the Sun Times. Mariotti has been rather outspoken about this doc. He thinks it is basically a Jordan propaganda piece. Is what Mariotti is saying.
0: And that is Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN. <laughs> 1000 and the brand new ESP Chicago at The Last Dance Mondays brought to you by Coors Light. Back after this.